You are listening to the Gator Slant, a Florida Gators podcast from ChopTalk.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Gator Slant, an all-sports Florida Gators podcast from Chomp Talk. Alongside Ryan Haley and Jesse Richardson, I'm Brian Fox. Guys, how are you doing today? I'm pretty good. Happy Labor Day, guys. Happy yeah. Labor Day. Happy yeah, Labor Day. It's, it's right. a holiday. I, I wasn't seeing that one coming. All right. Good job. That's, <laughs> <laughs> I spent uh, my Labor Day napping. and It's been great. Oh, I, spent my, I spent my Labor Day doing labor. So. Sweet. <laughs> well, no, I'm just kidding. My, par- my parents actually came for lunch. It was nice. I guess much right. like right. much like Jesse, as we talked about just prior to coming on, I spent my day napping, too. That's what we'll go with. Um, Sweet. So, guys, <laughs> I, I can't speak for you guys, but this week was really something to me. Uh, for the first time since last May, we have the return of the complete sports gauntlet on campus as volleyball, soccer and football were all in action this week. Uh, you know, we spent a lot of time talking soccer. We did almost a whole episode last week talking about football. So why don't we start with this Gator volleyball team? Uh, as we all know, Florida went 3-0 and in the Hornet Invitational last weekend, then finished up the California swing with a matchup against a top 20 Stanford program. Uh, unfortunately, that game didn't go in the Gator- Gators' favor, did it, Ryan? No, they actually lost to Stanford in four sets, which is better than getting swept. But um. No, they, they did lose to Stanford in four, uh, four sets, but they actually redeemed it with a better victory at uh, home in their home opener uh, just this past Sunday. They uh, played Minnesota, who is number 10 in the country in the preseason, and uh, won in four sets. Actually won pretty decisively in four sets, too. They were on the verge of a sweep. Um, but that was, actually, that was the first game in front of fans since 20, the 2019 season, too. They got up to a really hot start in, I think, three of the four sets. They, like, forced kind of Minnesota's back to the wall. They got, like, five or six of the first seven points. They they had I know they built, like, a 7-1 lead in the first set, and they kind of just had Minnesota, like, on their heels the entire day. Even the set that Minnesota won, they kind of had to come back for and go in a rally at the end of the set. And then I want to give a, a shout-out to freshman Merritt Beeson, who uh, they, uh, Florida was trailing 23-22 in the fourth set and on the verge of going to a tiebreaker fifth set and blowing a 2-0 lead. And she get two straight kills to give them the advantage, and then a Minnesota service error gave uh, Florida the victory. So um, it's a pretty big moment for a freshman in her first home game in front of the in front of a first crowd that any volleyball team has seen in, I guess, close to like 20, like 20 months now. And for her to get those two uh, those two straight kills and give Florida a top ten victory, um, unfortunately with the Stanford loss, they still fell in the ABCA rankings. They're now seventh in the country as opposed to fifth they were preseason, but they're four and one. Um, even with the loss, Minnesota only fell to thirteenth, so it's still a pretty quality victory to have on their schedule. Um, I know Minnesota's Minnesota's had a pretty tough slate too. They fit, they had to face Texas, and Texas is like good, right? But um. Yeah, uh, but yeah, Florida volleyball is uh, doing well. Brian, I know you said la- I know you said last week that if they beat both Stanford and Minnesota, we could have the "Is it Mary Wise's year?" conversation. They only beat one of the two, so we got to delay it for at least another week. Yeah, yeah, we'll give it at least another week. Hey, one thing I wanted to mention was Lauren Forte, man. I, I mean, she was a monster uh, in the middle as far as getting 16 kills on 24 attempts without a single error. Uh, it is a single game efficiency record at the University of Florida. Um, that was a pretty impressive uh, showing. Yeah. Uh, sure. But Lauren Forte has been, she's been good all year. She is, she's fourth on the team in, a t- in kills this year. 
behind only Tierra Caesar, uh, Thayer Hall, and, and Merritt Beeson. Um, this is a good team when you look offensively. Defensively, they're really solid too. Lauren Dooley in the middle is one of the best blockers uh, that we may have seen here at Florida. And when she came in, she came in incredibly uh, unheralded. So I'm very excited to continue to see what this team is going to do moving forward. I think this is a really talented team. I think this is probably the most talented team that Mary Wise has had in a number of years. And that includes the team that went all the way to the finals back in 2017 or whatever it was. Um, but I, I really like the, the starters, at least for this program, because I mean, like I said, we just named off four names of attackers there. That didn't include Marley Monterey, Lauren Dooley. Um, this is, is it, pretty deep team as well ryan what are some of your thoughts if you like randomly showed me a florida assist this year there's like an 85 percent chance it's marley monster i think she had like 56 of 65 for the team yeah this like on sunday that's insane like i don't really (laughs) think i can like like i don't think i can even really like comprehend just how like many that is for like one performance and then obviously like we talked about this before like you mentioned um you mentioned lauren forte we didn't even talk about tara caesar who like has led the team in kills like every single time they've played. And we yeah. like, ha- she's like the fifth person we've mentioned. So like this team is deep. I know they returned like pretty much everybody from last season on top of a really good recruiting class. This team is really, really deep. Yeah. I, like you said, man, this team's deep. Uh, you know, you mentioned Tierra Caesar, who is their leader in kills. Uh, she's only hitting at a 291 percentage, whereas Merritt Beeson is hitting at a 389 percentage. Uh, for those that don't know the, the kill percentage or the uh, hitting percentage, I guess is what they call it is kills divided by errors. There's some, there's some math to it. And I, I know it when I've got it in front of me, um, but anyway, uh, 389 is a fantastic number. Um, so it, it's nice to see that uh, you talked about Marley Montserrat. She has 183 assists <laughs> in, in the, in five matches. That, That's pretty that impressive. Uh, yeah. That's really good, man. She's averaging more than 10 assists per match. Um, so that's that's a really good number. Um, but we talk about Tierra Caesar. The other thing also. that you don't that you get in, in from Tierra is she's really good from the back line. You don't always see that from your your big hitters, and she's really good. She's got six service aces already this year, um, which is tied for the team lead with Thayer Hall. Um, but yeah, I I really like the direction this team is headed, and like I said, I really like the build of this team. I think it's one of the like I said earlier, man, this is one of the most loaded teams that Mary Wise has had in a long time, I think. And I think we're going to see them make a heck of a run. Uh, Kentucky obviously stands in the way as far as division opponents go. Kentucky, I believe they won the championship last year, finished runner up. Um, well, you guys can fact check that if you'd, also, if you'd like. <laughs> also, um, I do have the uh, hitting percentage stat in front of me if you want it. Yeah, yeah. Let everybody know what it was. Uh, hitting percentage is a uh, total. It's a uh, total kills subtracted. Like you subtract hitting errors from total kills and then divide by the total number of attempts. So kills yes. minus hitting errors divided by attempts. Got it. Hitting percentage. Yeah. Either way, this this team's putting up gaudy numbers. Um, but like I said, against um, Minnesota, the defense was what was actually super impressive. Um, in the fourth and final set. Uh, Minnesota only hit 182. I mean, that's an insanely low number. Um, and it allowed Florida to jump out to that 7-1 lead that you alluded to. 
and and just going on to kind of like you said, look, man, it wasn't really close. <laughs> That's what was fun about it. This is a really good Minnesota team who's obviously taking their licks early this year, but it was not really close. And you like to see that if you're a Florida fan. Jesse, do you have anything to add about this uh, women's volleyball team? Yeah, uh, so I'll be honest, I'm going to try and get a little bit more well-versed in Garrett's volleyball uh, this week. But, I mean, Tara Caesar does look like an absolute killing machine. I mean, you know, with these 60 kills on the season and 19 versus Minnesota, I, I can only assume it's going it's only going to go up from here. And, I mean, I, I, it, it looks good to uh, momentum going. I mean, maybe not so much versus Stanford, but, you know, after scoring the 900 win for Mary Wise, uh, Maybe, hopefully they'll, they'll keep on building on, on this momentum, but uh, they got number 17 Baylor next. So that should be an interesting uh, two game series uh, this weekend. And then, yeah. yeah, they do have Baylor coming up this weekend. And then uh, I am looking at uh, the NCAA volleyball stats right now. Um, it says that they have not been updated in three days, but uh, Miley Montserrat has 183 assists this year. And as of September 3rd, the nation's leader, it was 179 and second was 150. So I have, I had a hard time imagining she's not in the top five, if not top 10, like assist leaders in the country in terms of total assists right now. So she's been an absolute machine. Right. And you got to remember in, in Marley's numbers there, it includes those sets that she played, but didn't play the whole thing because, you know, they were playing, you know, not very good teams out in that Hornet invitational. Um, so those numbers could have been inflated even higher. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I, I like the direction, uh, Jesse mentioned it. They've got uh, number 17 Baylor coming into Gainesville uh, on Friday and Saturday, a two game set. Uh, Friday's match is at 8 p.m. and will be on SEC Network. And then Saturday's match will be at 7 p.m., uh, both from the O'Connell Center before welcoming and rival Florida State next week. Uh, guys, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I hate to move on from that because it was such a high because, uh, you know, we we're, were talking about Florida State coming in. Well, one of our soccer, our soccer program just went to Florida State. Jesse, what were the results there? Yeah, so not uh, our favorite results um, in Florida State, uh, but that I will preface this with saying that Florida State is the best team in the nation right now, and uh, they they have been beating their their opponents quite handily uh, so far this season. Um, so I was so going into this game, um, heading into the match uh, versus, versus Florida State. I didn't really have a whole lot of confidence in the winning chances for Florida, but you know, you shouldn't really kind of, it kind of went out before the game even starts, but you know, Florida came out strong. They, they scored the first goal. I believe it was Kit Leforsky, uh, who it, who has become the offensive leader. Uh, she's become the speed on this team. It seems like, um, but then after that first goal, uh, it was just all downhill from there for, for Florida, uh, Florida state just kept on piling on. They scored four first half goals which is um, ridiculous, honestly, uh, to consider for any defense. But I mean, but like I keep saying, Florida State is a very stacked team. They're, they're, very, uh, they're very deep offensively. They looked very fast on the pitch, um, a lot faster than Florida was. Um, and that was just kind of like, kind of the main factor there. It seemed like um, Florida State was aggressive and they were taking their shots. They were laying it down with accuracy. And uh, Goldberg uh, stood stood her ground as uh, best as she, as she could, but um, just a, a couple of uh, the penalty kicks definitely didn't help that. Because uh, I mean, you know, it's one on one goalie versus versus the uh, shooter, but uh, only so much you can do about that. But I mean, yeah, it was a very tough loss against Florida State, but they did redeem themselves on uh, on Sunday uh, with a one nil win versus Florida Gulf Coast. Uh, but 
you know, I guess sticking on, on the Florida State uh, loss, what did you think of it, Brian? Well, I mean, it's been basically rinse, lather, repeat. Uh, you know, once again, we saw defensive miscues. Um, and I, look, this is a great Florida State team. They're number one in the nation for a reason. Uh, they have an incredible attack. Like you said, they were, they were up and down the field with in, insane uh, speed um, and efficiency. They were getting up there with no problem. I don't know if that's more of a shot at the Florida defense as it is, uh, you know, praise toward the Florida State offense. Uh, but, you know, we've been critical of the defense and that defensive midfields for, for a little while anyway. So, um, by the way, I want to give kudos to you for using the word pitch. Um, <laughs> Uh, that's not a word that I feel like I'm ever going to use. Anyway. Yeah, it was a tough loss to take and especially against a bitter rival. But if you want to look at silver linings, I think Florida pulling two goals um, was something I mean, they hadn't scored in how long Jesse had four previous games. It was, it was uh, two matches. They they were shut up by UCF and Miami. UCF won 2-0 and the Miami won one nil in in the uh, overtime match. I'll just go based off that point. Um, but I mean, yeah, just the, the, the two goals, it, it, it was, you know, a good thing to see to like not get, you know, showed up five nil uh, by Florida state. But it, I, I guess uh, another kind of good thing to look at is it, they were 100% on, on shot taking, you know, two for two. But um, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's, that's pretty good. I, guess. I like it. We are so finding like, the silver linings for this soccer program today. <laughs> finding any kind of silver lining there is, but uh, yeah, but I, I will say that like um, that there is that, but it, it was a loss versus the number one team in the nation. Um, and this Florida state team has been playing together for a while. They've, I mean, obviously they've had their coach a lot longer than Tony Mato has been around in his first season. Um, you know, duh. Uh, but yeah, but, but moving on to Sunday, uh, Florida Gulf coast, um, they looked better. Uh, I want to say Ryan Zender did, did cover the game on Sunday. Um, and then they actually went into a hour and a half rain delay, uh, which was right. very fun to wait through. It was absolutely storming down in Fort which Myers, you, which if um, you've ever spoken to Ryan Zender, it's hilarious. I think like 60% of the events he's ever live covered for the alligator have had like multiple multi-hour rain delays. Oh my gosh. <laughs> this poor soul. Well, it, it, it I, I mean, I definitely feel about for, for, for a baseball in the summer of uh, that one two hour rain delay that, that there was. But anyway, okay. After the South Alabama game, you're never allowed to complain to me about a rain delay in baseball. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. The very next day, I ever. <laughs> that's right. I totally forgot. That. Sorry about that, Ryan. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> but, but but anyway, but uh, I so yeah, so Florida soccer. I guess they they must have found some some kind of uh, spark from that rain delay because uh, they came out. Um, looking a little bit faster, I thought a little bit more in, in control. Um, and then eventually it, it, it took them about, uh, I believe it was, it was about 70 minutes, 70 plus minutes on, um, and then they midfielder Olivia Gonzalez, who was actually, by the way, um, really started, really starting to shine out, um, and t- starting to take these shots. Usually it was, it was Kit Lefersky, um, and, 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 uh, Nicole Vernis. But I'm starting to notice Gonzalez is starting to uh, put herself more up there and uh, really, really trying to take these shots because, um, you know, Florida, uh, I, I've been preaching this for the past couple of weeks is it seems like the offense is kind of hesitant when they get when they get to the box. But I will say that on Sunday that improved much more. Uh, these shots were close. And I mean, the, the Florida Gulf Coast uh, goalie did did do her best to, to hold off Florida. But um 
I will say, despite the win, I, I was expecting a little bit more scoring from, from Florida, but I, I, you know, obviously they're still learning the system and, and uh, I, I, I guess they're still trying to figure out these, these kinks of trying to get their passes um, just accurate and, and really just trying to get these touches in the box and really get these shots off. Cause it, it the, I think that's, that's still that one crutch holding back this team is once they really start getting, getting that confidence in their shot taking, I think though we'll start seeing a lot, lot more high scoring games from this team for sure. Uh, two notes on Olivia Gonzalez from someone who didn't watch Sunday's game. Um, one, I have started to see her name pop up more and more uh, in articles, and she's getting more shots. She seems to be having more opportunities, creating more opportunities, which likely means that she's not only playing well, but impressing the coaching staff enough for them to give her those chances. Two, that's for people at home who haven't read her name. It's Olivia with an A to start it. Fact-checking nightmare. Yes. <laughs> if, I'm, if I am checking Jesse's articles, it never looks correct. <laughs> but yeah, I'm looking right now at Payam's article for us, and I'm like, mm, is that really how that's supposed to look? <laughs> um, hey, man, if she if she keeps playing the way she's playing, she can spell it over the hell she wants. Exactly. Well, no, absolutely. And I will tell you this, uh, Jesse, uh, did you actually did you watch the game or on a Sunday? Yes. 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 I uh, watched the live stream at least. Uh, I tuned back in when, when they finally resumed after the hour and a half rain delay. Yeah. For those that don't understand this rain delay happened six minutes into the game. So the game had already kicked off and started and then a lightning strike. And then, you know, the hour and a half wait. Um, but the, the goal was great. It was one of those flick throughs by um, Nicole Vernis. Nicole Vernis is the, I, I think she's the best player on the team. I don't think it's particularly close. But she's also, she's got to play the role of playmaker for this team. And she did exactly that. She got it to uh, Gonzalez right at the, the top right of the box and then just took it off. Um, but yeah, Nicole Vernis is the, is the glue that kind of got it going. And I mean, she wasn't the only part of that, obviously. Madison Alexander got it to Gonzalez, who then kicked it over. But um, anyway, it was nice to see the, uh, the momentum from this team. And maybe, you know, getting a couple of goals against Florida State was the momentum that they need to carry through and see that, hey, we can score. We just scored twice against the number one team in the country. Why can't we score against UCF? <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I don't know. We'll see. This team's problems, it, it's kind of all-encompassing right now. And, and, you know, we can take yesterday's game, uh, you know, with a grain of salt or, or you can take it as this is what's going to light a fire under them or whatever. Uh, the reality is this is a team that even last night or yesterday had trouble scoring. Uh, they look much better defensively. Um, but I mean, could you look worse? <laughs> yeah. And I mean, they do look much better defensively. And, and I mean, at the same time, there, there is a huge difference between the offensive play between Florida state, one of the best teams in the country and Florida Gulf coast an unranked squad so you know but but so i I don't want to look too deep in this win i I do i do think it's great for florida to finally get that win this year you know finally and i mean the the schedule uh doesn't really get too much easier from here well uh the sec play starts on the 17th and then uh they got one more match versus north carolina next uh not next thursday but this thursday at home so that should be interesting um and as far as North Carolina goes, I think that that game sh- should be fairly close. Uh, but I think North Carolina might be a slight favorite in that. Yeah, I, I mean, I would think so, too. Um, but again, that's just looking at this Florida team as as we've seen them all year, pretty much. Um, you know, I, 
I, I refuse to get behind the hype of a 1-0 win. I'm glad to see that Tony Amato's squad finally got that first win. Uh, there was a little bit of concern, I think, with both of us that he might not get that at all this year. So um, for a little bit there. <laughs> so it is nice to see it happen. Obviously, we want the best for this program. Um, one thing that, uh, Jesse, it bothers me, and I want to see if it bothers you and or Ryan. I know Ryan's probably not familiar with it as much. Uh, Ryan, have you spent much time over at the Diz, Donald R. Disney Stadium out there? I've partaken in a few games at the Diz. And obviously, I know Jesse's been there. Guys, the uh, soccer program made the move, the permanent move to the Diz, uh, you know, like three or four years ago now. It's only been a short time. They used to play over the track field. Uh, one thing that I feel is missing and that I think it's hard for the soccer program to call it their home, there is no championship banner. The 1998 national champion should be recognized inside their stadium. Jesse, any thoughts? I mean, yeah, I think there's, there's plenty of room for it, right? I mean, uh, there's a lot of, lacrosse banners when you walk along the the uh i'm gonna call it the the uh, concord i guess uh and i i feel like there's definitely like plenty of space along that humongous brick wall that they got at like the i believe it's the north end of the field uh heck they could slap it on the scoreboard if they wanted to um right. but <laughs> honestly i i didn't i didn't really think about it until you mentioned it um and i, I didn't even notice i was like huh i guess they don't have a national championship banner you no know, it's it's funny because i notice it every single time i go to watch a game there but then whenever i want to go and like say something on twitter to scott strickland or or mention it even to you guys i always forget about it but it bothers me uh like i said i i if i was if it was my program i'd be like where's our banner we earned it i don't care if it was 25 years ago uh, it's not 1980. It was 1998. So it's okay. Um, but yeah, I, I'm just, I, I think it needs to be put up there. Uh, and I think it needs to be there for, you know, soccer. They, there's not a whole lot of people coming out anyway, give them something to root for. And, uh, and I don't know. I just, that's, that's going to be our stand. We, we are going to make that happen. We're, we're going to start tweeting at Scott Strickland. Uh, no, uh, I've, so- I've, I've, I've Scott Strickland's been on my Twitter enough. Oh man. <laughs> All right. So Ryan is going to start tweeting at, <laughs> uh, but no, I want to make that happen. And then uh, when it does happen, I want to take all the credit for it as well. Okay. <laughs> okay. Sounds good. Make the championship banner happen. 2021. <laughs> <laughs> yes. This is, this that's is our, our goal. angle. That's our <laughs> angle for sure. All right, guys, let's, uh, let's move into football. It was a, uh, it was a fun packed weekend of football, college football. And, and as a whole, um actually there's a game going on right now uh that i think is pretty interesting and has a gator tie as in former committed quarterback matt corral who might just win a heisman trophy this year i don't let it go brian (laughs) yeah dude might just mess around and win a heisman who knows well i mean considering (laughs) considering three of the top five candidates shot themselves in the foot this week (laughs) yeah odds are looking good if he goes out there and plays well uh but yeah i'm i look for one i am ecstatic that college football is back i've missed it uh even if florida isn't playing if my other favorite schools aren't playing uh just to have it on you know it's it's refreshing to me it it just i'll take that any day of the week um guys obviously florida played and uh they they won 35 14 and we should all be happy right yeah 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 Yeah, i would say so yeah yeah. i mean we should i mean in in all like serious honesty we should be but like we're not going to be. Yeah, there was there was significant win, right? problems, right? There, there was there was problems. 
Oh, I wouldn't call him significant. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't, Not being able to complete a pass is significant. I don't in football these days. <laughs> I don't, I don't subscribe to calling problems significant after week one, if that makes sense. Like I, and Zach Carter's talked about this in his post-game media. Like uh, someone asked him if he thought people overreacted to week one. He was like, for sure. Like you're not a great player or a bad player because you have a bad game. You're a great player or a bad player because you build games on games on games and build that reputation. So like there were issues to call them significant or to say that they're like enough to have like an alarm bell sounding when it's been one game. I mean, it's a short season, but it's not that short. Right, but one loss and you're pretty much out of it, right? Yeah. <laughs> we we agree with that. Oh, yeah, probably. Yeah. But. And if this team doesn't figure out the issues that, that was playing it, I, you know, here's one for me. And, and I, you know instead, of, instead of getting into the quarterback debate yet. <laughs> okay, we'll save that for later. All right, here, here's one, a, a very simple one. Nine penalties for 91 yards. You've Not got good. to clean that up against 100%. Florida Atlanta. I, and I get it's the first game. Maybe they don't know the counts, but Dan Mullen has praised his veteran offensive line. Now, I will say I thought the offensive line played very well. That that was one of my biggest I, – I thought all things considered, they weren't bad. They didn't give up a sack, uh, including the right tackle. So, I think that's a good start. I do – like, I want to caution that. Like, they did a great – I think they did a really good job. You can't have a 400-yard rushing game without the offensive line playing amazing. They didn't get a sack. Richardson and Jones were dead to rights a few times and just ran away. Like, if there was Kyle Trask in the pocket, they probably would have had three or four. But that's kind of the limitations. So, yeah. I mean, it, it, I, I'm not, you can't really hold that against them, though. They're working with a mobile quarterback, so their margin for error is wider. But, right. like, but you, can't, you can't have a 400-yard rushing game without a great performance from the offensive line. So, cool. yeah, no, I'll take it. They did really well. Ryan, uh, let's before we get into uh, quarterback talk because there's obviously a lot that that can take place there. Oh, yeah. uh, just give me what is your biggest surprise from week one from the Florida Gators? Good or bad? Uh, you can go either way. Let's go um, good. Let's start with good. Let's let's start with the the positives. <laughs> good. Um, I promise. I thought the game was better than this, and I'm like waiting so long. Let's say there's not a whole lot of good uh, apparently. No, uh, Malik Davis. I mean, that's the easy answer. I'm trying to like, I was trying to come up with something that wasn't chalk, but like we heard all offseason. Everyone's like, yeah, Malik looks like 2017. Like he looks like his old freshman self again. And it, like everyone says that every offseason. And then he showed up against FAU. It's like, oh, he does. Like he's making cuts with confidence. He's moving the way he used to move. Like Malik Davis looks healthy. And that was like, that was the big, the big, like the argument they made the whole like off season was like, yeah, we're going to use an RB by committee and we're going to like split up the carries at halftime. At halftime, the running backs had 12 carries and eight of them were Malik. Yeah. Like, they're, they're not interested in splitting up. If Malik is healthy, he's RB one. Yeah. I know that Damian Peters found the end zone twice, but the guy only got six carries. Well, they, uh, I think Damian Pierce is going to be the red zone bruiser back. I think yeah. that's going to be the kind of role he fits into, but I think Malik Davis is RB one from like the middle of the hashes. Well, yeah, it sure looks that way. Jesse, what is your biggest surprise from week one? My biggest surprise was actually, Brian, that your prediction uh, so far for the wide receiver room looks like it's going to be correct because Whittemore was getting all kinds of targets, uh, way more than than, uh, Jacob Copeland. Um, So I thought that was was my main surprise. Uh, I mean, we were talking before the show, you know, Copeland has got the one jersey, and we thought – uh, gets his leadership role but so far Woodmore, it looks like the target favorite i know it's week one 
it's week one, you know, there was only so many past plays that were that were developed. And now uh, one more surprise actually is looking at the at the uh, game notes is for uh, pretty much every explosive play, except for two of them, we're, we're all rushing. And I, I think that that's just goes a lot to say about this offensive line. I mean, yeah, you know, not giving a, giving up a sack was granted because AR-15 and, and Emory Jones are hell on wheels and they, they can get it out of the pocket with, with no problem. Um, but yeah, I was just really excited to see this this uh, this running back room get get, get up to speed already. Um, and Malik Davis looks like a touchdown bandit so far. <laughs> Damian Pierce is, is, is going to tr- put him down the field and then, um, Davis is going to get on the uh, on the uh, field at the two yard line and steal touchdowns all season. You got those names mixed up, my guy. Oh, did I, oh, did I get it reversed? You reversed it. I reversed it. My bad. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so if you guys were playing fantasy football and you had both Malik Davis on your roster and you had Damian Pierce, who's your choice if you can only start one? You go, do you go yards or touchdown? And that's that's the question. Here. Yeah, that's <laughs> I. I'll probably go touchdowns. That's the small. So chalk says Damian Pierce because touchdowns are six points and you need 60 yards to balance that out. But if he doesn't get a touchdown, no, I know, but that's my point is like, I, I typically ascribe to volume more than touchdowns, which is typically probably why I lose fantasy football, but no, um, I'm, I'm the same way, which might also explain my failures. So like, it, so like, and also like Malik has explosiveness. Like, it's not like he's just the guy, like he'll, he had three runs longer than 15 yards and they weren't just like easy, big gaping holes. It was like him moving like multiple guys, getting them off of him. Like Malik can, Malik can kind of break out a big one. And so if they get to like the 28 yard line or something and Malik just like takes it to the house, Damian Pierce's role is suddenly gone. So I I would go Malik. Oddly enough, Damian Pierce had the most catches on the team in the the game. Uh, He was tied. He was tied with Rick Wells, but I, you know, it's just like, everybody thought coming into the game that Malik Davis was that guy that's going to be, Oh, he, they're going to use him predominantly. No, we had that think, all wrong. <laughs> I think week one, Damelin just looks at every off season take and he's like, wrong, 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 wrong. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see the off. truth. We'll see the truth against Alabama and that'll be it. Hey, as uh, far yeah. as, um, Oh, wait, I, no, I, I had, well, I had one more good thing before changing topics though. Okay. Go ahead and give me your good thing before I give you mine. Shout out Rick Wells. Good answer. All right. Was that, I like was that, that. I, I don't, I don't know if I'm going to steal that from you, but like, no. Um, yeah. Like shout out. I mean, like, I don't, I'd be lying to you if we looked you in the eye and said, I thought Rick Wells would be the team's leading receiver in any game. And I don't think there's a chance he, I don't think there's a great chance he leads the team in receptions again, but like for him to have a game like that after waiting as long as he did to get on the field and to have a moment like scoring his first touchdown in an atmosphere, like all the fans being back for week one, I can't imagine how rewarding that feels after how long he's been there and how long he's been kind of toiling. Cause I would have to imagine at some point, like it's a sixth year in the program at some point yeah. you have to question if that's ever going to happen and to let it happen in a game in front of 86,000 people where everyone's just going nuts. Good for, yeah. good for Rick Wells. Yes. And uh, you know, um, I, I do want to bring up briefly without mentioning a whole lot of names here. Um, the uh, slander uh, that he's taking online from uh certain journalists out there um it really seems unfair Mm -hmm. we all made mistakes when we were that age um so like i said i don't want to get into who and what but uh you know that's really unfair to him and this is his moment they should let him enjoy it and uh leave it at that i'm Um, glad um to also 
sparse words there. I'm I'm glad that people are rallying around him in the way that they are because that's well, the kind of reaction that you deserve in a moment where you get an achievement like that. And most importantly, his teammates have come to his defense many times through, mm-hmm. uh, you know, subtle think, tweets here and there or whatever. So I think that says a lot. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And it like, shows that they, they care about him and that he is a leader within that locker room. It seems at like, his advanced age. Um, it, seem, it seems like every offensive player I follow on social media, like is friends with Rick Wells. Yeah. And I feel like that says a lot. Yeah, for sure. Like you said, we all make mistakes when we're, when we're kids, it happens. Uh, he's moved on. He's learned. And obviously from everything that we've heard, he has been the consummate teammate. So you can't, you can't complain that one thing that I want to talk about that I thought was really good. How could we not talk about Zachary Carter? Oh, uh, after, that's, that's... after after spending all last year on the inside, he moves to the outside, which is probably his more natural position based on the results. Uh, comes away with three sacks. Um, yeah, man. I mean, you just can't speak enough about what that guy gave this team uh, and the boost. Look, Zachary Carter took a shot on himself this year. He bet on himself, and uh, through one game, it looks like he's he's bet right. Ryan, you were gonna say. It wasn't even the sacks for me. It was how often he was in the backfield. I mean, it was every like three or four plays, he was wrecking something. Like there was one, the big play that stuck out the most to me, there was a read option that FAU did. I think they had Posey in rather than Perry because he was typically their runner. Um, And it was a read option play and Posey's like handing the ball off to the runner and he had to pull it back in because Zach Carter had hit the running back by the time he'd stuck the ball out. Like Zach Carter was already in the backfield, like wrapping his arms around the running back. And I could, I could hear the impact from the press box. Like he was there that often and that hard. He would like it. I, I can't imagine of like if I'm Nikosi Perry, just knowing he's coming every single snap. Yeah. Hey guys, what did you think of secondary play? Uh, the secondary was under a lot of scrutiny coming into the game. They were not very good last year. Jesse, let's start with you. What did you think of the Florida secondary? Oh boy. Um, they might have showed a slight improvement from last season, but not really. Um, I mean, I, I think one way to really uh, summarize the the Florida defense is that picture of Dan Mullen that's currently going around on Twitter of after that first score by the Owls. Um, I, uh, apparently, the caption read, Dan Mullen is staring directly at Todd Grantham like in this picture, and it, it looks like a absolute death glare. Um and, shout out and Samantha Harrison, alligator photographer. That was her yeah, photo. Shout out, shout out to Samantha. Um, but uh, yeah, it's a, it's a great picture. And I think it's it's going to be a pretty good summary of the expectations of this defense. Because uh, I mean, even giving out 14 points to Florida Atlantic is a little bit too much. Um, and I, I, it, who knows how, how much the defense is going to give up versus uh, South Florida. Uh, but I will say in the first half, I thought they, you know, they 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 shut out FAU. Obviously, that's a that's a big thing to to a look to, to look look on. Um, but just overall, the secondary, I thought that there was a lot of blown coverages. I thought that uh, way too much soft soft coverage on third downs. I thought, um, and I think that's what really sparked a, a FAU uh, scoring scoring. Quotes fast, I guess, in the in the, the uh, four quarters, they really uh, stopped pressing, and um, I don't know. I I, I wasn't really too impressed. I, I was not really a, a big fan of, of secondary uh, on Saturday night. Yeah, that was kind of my takeaway as well. Is that the secondary just they were beat several times. A decent quarterback for Florida Atlantic might have had a tie ball game. Um, 
Then once they realized, once the Owls had strategized and started doing all the under routes, the coverage was off so often that I didn't understand what the scheme was or what they were trying to do. Um, but all in all, I mean, it is what it is, but man, if that's, if we don't see, if that wasn't vanilla play calling or whatever the case may be uh, in regards to Alabama coming in in two weeks, uh, that might be something to be concerned with in the future. Ryan, what are your thoughts? I was going to say like, that was the big takeaway was how far back they were playing. And that was so many, it was like, they gave up so many inside passes, but like the big thing for me is like for how far back they were playing, they got beat deep a few times too, that Perry just couldn't hit the deep ball. And like, if you're going to play back like that, especially if that's going to be your strategy against Bama when they have guys like Mechie, like if you're going to play back like that, you're playing back like that because you do not let anyone pass you no matter what. So that I, I don't know. I mean, I think they were kind of cycling guys in and out too. So it might've just been that one guy couldn't get in rhythm. They don't really know. Like, I don't, I don't know if any of them are getting steady reps at any one spot in that CB2 position. So I don't know how familiar any of them are with it. And I think this is kind of getting down to the nitty gritty where they kind of just have to pick a cornerback too and stick with them. Um, I think they're going to keep cycling guys in and out for USF and then finally make that decision. Yeah, I was not overly impressed with anyone. I didn't hear Kyrie Allen's name at all on Saturday, which is probably a good thing as a cornerback. But like, yeah, I think they caught one pass in front of him, but even that went for like nine yards or something like that. Um, Kyrie Elam's obviously not the problem. No. <laughs> um, the problem is what's on the other side. And uh, Avery Helm didn't seem to make a difference. Jadarius Perkins was over there. He got beat a couple times. Um, yeah, Marshall I just I don't know. Like Jason, Jason Marshall only got four plays, but he had a huge pass interference. Yeah, although I do want to not like justify it, but like he was beat either way. So, like I don't really know if that was a terrible pi. I mean, it was no, it was I'm, egregious. I'm all for pass interference. If you're beat and you're about to give up a touchdown, grab that jersey, pull him down, whatever you got to do. It's a 15 yard penalty in college football. Yeah, it, it was pretty egregious, but uh, he was beat. So. I don't really know how awful it was. Uh, I don't really advocate playing like that, but like if you can avoid it, but like, I don't really know if it was like a penalty where I was like, man, Marshall can't do that. So, but he didn't play very, he didn't play very much. He got in early too. I was, they got him in like the like middle of the first quarter, early second quarter. And I was like, Oh really? I guess Marshall's going to play. And then he just didn't, but all right, is it uh, time? Is it time for we do bad surprise and then quarterbacks or just quarterbacks? Cool. Let's let's do bad surprises, Ryan. Uh, we talked some bad. Let's let's do a couple more. Um, how little Jacob Copeland played. Uh, I talked about this before with the way the passing game kind of looked on Sunday across all spectrums. I had a hard time judging any receiver for their performance on the field. Copeland had his helmet in his hand a lot on Saturday, and for a guy that was given the number one jersey, that surprised me. It was it, like, and he was playing special teams. So it's not like he was hurt. I don't think he had a snap limit. He just wasn't on the field. Right. I don't, know, I don't know if that's like a precaution thing or if that's them hiding him for later in the season. I don't really know how reliable, like, I don't really know how much stock I'd put in either of those two answers, but I don't, I don't know. I mean, it was, I wasn't expecting the number one Jersey going into the season for him. And after yesterday, I'm kind of more plucked by it. Yeah, it seems you have more questions than answers about that. And I think all of us do. I think we all expected that Jacob Copeland was going to take that step this year that we saw from guys like Van Jefferson two years ago, uh, guys like Trayvon Grimes a year ago. Jesse, what is your kind of bad surprise from week one? Um, I'm really trying to think of like, a, of like another one because I, I was really just surprised of 
how lacking the defense was um or at least looked i i, I know you know the score was was pretty was pretty spread it was the the final was 30 uh 8 to 14 35 14 35 14 okay there we go yes um yeah 35 to 14 no field goals i don't think they attempted one i can't remember it was two days ago geez but um but yeah so <clears throat> Just overall, I mean, just my main surprise was just seeing that soft coverage and seeing Florida Atlantic be able to just uh, uh, to <laughs> infiltrate um, the, the the Florida defense like, like they did in, in the second half, especially. Um, really just trying to think other bad surprises. I mean, I, I, I'm really trying to think about what I was surprised that like they were bad about. I mean, because I, I think we're all just kind of expecting the defense hopefully to improve. So I, I don't know if we were really had too high of expectations for them. But um, the, the, the only really thing I'm just harping on this this week and it's all, all of the, uh, national media is just the quarterback situation. But I know that we're going to talk about that uh, pretty soon here. <laughs> yeah, guys, for my bad, I mean, we kind of hint, hinted at it the whole time, but I thought the defense as a whole, with the exception maybe of Zachary Carter, uh, was <clears throat> very lackluster against a not good Florida Atlantic team. Uh, and it started right out of the gates. Florida opens the game with a touchdown drive, a, an 11-play drive. And then immediately they give up a 10-play drive to Florida Atlantic. Obviously, it resulted in a punt. No big deal. The very next drive, Florida gets a touchdown. And then FAU capitalizes with a six-play, another six-play drive before a fumble. Look, they were opportunistic, but opportunistic doesn't mean good. Um, and they give up these chunk plays that – FAU's third drive was 10 plays. Their fourth drive was 11 plays. It's not good to keep your defense on the field that long. I know we got used to it last year. Uh, every time Florida would score quick, they would spend, they would go right back out on defense and spend the entire game out there. Um, the concern is that's going to happen again this year. Uh, it looks like teams don't fear running on the Gators. And once they start running, that passing game is going to open up, especially if there's a problem at cornerback. Um, Hopefully things get clear. You know, look, we're going to come in here next week and we're going to talk about a 51 to zero romping of uh, South Florida, which end, uh, that's, which, that's which just end a bad Florida, team, <laughs> which end is Florida on. No, I'm just kidding. Well, um, Florida's going to beat them. USF's just mm -hmm. a really bad football really team. Bad. If you watch their game against North Carolina state, it wasn't even close. And Florida's um, a better team than North Carolina state. But I worry that, some of the problems are just going to get kind of massaged over because they're going to play a bad team. And then when they play that Alabama, was, we're going to be in a lot of trouble. That was my issue for a majority of last season is there were some soft issues that never really got addressed because they kept winning games. And then the entire staff was like, well, we're winning. So it's fine. And then they lost yeah, good enough. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and because and, all of them, all of them happened at once. Yep. And based on revisionist history, that's what we're looking at maybe this year, except that mm. Alabama looms game three. <laughs> it's we yeah, that that'll be a wake up call. But um also like for I don't really like know like for had surprises, like as someone who was debating between him and Zach Carter, which I obviously picked wrong last week for like leading <laughs> leading the team in sacks, Brenton Cox wasn't around a whole lot. And no, you didn't hear his name called hardly at mm -mm. all. <laughs> no, like I I, don't, I couldn't even tell you how often he was on the field and I watched every second of that game. So right. that was not phenomenal, but again, it's week one. I don't expect Zach. I don't just, I don't, I hope he might. I don't expect Zach Carter to get three sacks every week. He, who knows if he does, he's going first round in the draft. Um, 
Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I don't just to that same level. Like I don't expect Zach Carter to get three sacks every week. I don't expect Brenton Cox to not be there every week, but that was kind of surprising considering he was kind of the guy on the defensive line that was tabbed to be like the next up and comer. No, yeah, I, like I said, I completely agree. All right, let's get into it. Everybody's All been right, alluding everybody. to it the whole time. There's a quarterback controversy in no. Gainesville. Dan Mullen won't admit it, but no, there, there might be a better option that's not getting the start. Ryan, you share your thoughts first, buddy. Uh, there's the a. Uh, it's you. There's okay. Uh-oh. Um, <laughs> a. Calling it a quarterback controversy after this past week is an overreaction. Uh, no, I think I think there's a lot of people who think that one guy should start over the other. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of people that think one guy should start over the other. But you know what? You know who isn't coaching the Florida football team is anybody who's saying that. Right, but but the guy who is coaching the Florida football team made a very interesting comment today. <laughs> well, which one was that? The, the one where he's talking about, well, yeah, we're probably going to go to a true. He put the word true, two quarterback system. No. So when Dan Mullen talked about that, that was not necessarily taken out of context because that is what he said. But um, someone asked him about the idea of a two quarterback offense. And he said that there are two ways to do it. There's what they did with Emory last year and what Tebow did with Chris Leak in 2006, which is uh, the backup comes in and runs a package of plays that is specifically tailored for them that the starter couldn't run. Obviously, Kyle Trask and Emory Jones are different styles of quarterback. So Emory Jones is not going to run the same place Kyle Trask is. Ditto for Tim Tebow coming in with Chris Leak. That's style one. Style two, which he said is a more true two-quarterback system, is that you have two quarterbacks who can run the same playbook. It doesn't mean that they're going to divide time necessarily. It just meant that, like, Anthony Richardson and Emory Jones, their strengths and their weaknesses strongly overlap with each other right now. So it makes total sense that Dan Mullen's like, I'm not going to change the playbook when Anthony Richardson in the game because he's just the same kind of player as Emory Jones. So that was the context of that comment. Obviously, like, I don't think that Dan Mullen's not thinking of playing Anthony Richardson more, but I don't think that comment really meant the, like the, what it initially sounded like it implied. I think what it really meant was like, we're going to run an offense where both Anthony and Emery can like step in and run the plays that I have in mind effortlessly without me like flipping to a different page page in the playbook. Um, Now for the record, Ryan, I want to put it out there that, while I loved what I saw from Anthony Richardson running, I didn't see enough from him in the air. There's, there wasn't mm-hmm. anything that you saw and we no. didn't see anything and from Emory either, No, but they both need tape throwing the football and throwing it 20 times a game and having it split between the two of them is not going to get you a mm-hmm. good quarterback out of this system. I think that, and I know I've mentioned this to pretty much anyone who will listen the last few days. Um, Anthony Richardson is going to be a really, really good football player. And he was way more electric than I thought he'd be. I knew he was a good runner. I didn't think he'd be that exciting. Um, He went three for eight with two screen passes. And one of the screen passes, Rick Wells had to do a split to catch. And the other pass, the long bomb, uh, should have been a touchdown that Jamarcus Weston had to slow up to catch. So Anthony Richardson is going to be a really, really good football player. He, like, just turned 20. Like, he doesn't have to be a good football player tomorrow. And we're, we were in the same situation, like from the day Felipe went down, pretty much the day Emory showed up on campus to the, like, especially the day Felipe went down to the Ole Miss game last year, people were doing the same game with Kyle Trask and Emory Jones. And Dan Mullen talked about this today. And I don't always agree with everything Dan Mullen says about the team, but I think he made a really good point here. 
they were like, what you, like there's obviously excitement around Anthony. And he's like, there was excitement about Tebow in 2006. Tebow wasn't better than Chris Leak. He just came in, ran six plays, looked super fun, and then went back on the field. Then one's like, wait, no, we want to see that more. But if you do that more, it doesn't always work. And so that was, I'm not saying it wouldn't happen like that for Anthony. But right, like, but, but the, the issue backup, here. The backup's always exciting. The backup's right. always exciting. And your backup's going to be particularly exciting when the starter goes 17 for 27 for 113 yards with two interceptions. That's yeah. the problem. The problem isn't what Anthony Richardson did and how great it looked. I mean, that's part of it, obviously. But if it weren't for the struggles of Emory there, nobody last year was saying, hey, I want to see more Emory when Kyle Trask is out on that field. No, that was not happening. No, but then in the other two examples, I said in 2019, Kyle Trask was perfectly right. fine and people still wanted Emory. And in 2006, Chris Leak won a national championship and people still wanted Tebow. So like Emory could have been a lot better, but I also think historically that like, the backup quarterback that makes a few electric runs is always going to generate some excitement. There's not always going to be that much of a controversy. Like it's, it's this much people want to see Anthony Richardson more because he's fun. It's this much of a controversy because Emory was bad. Right. That's exactly, that's exactly right. The phrase that you use right there is, is 100% on point. But for me going into week two, after one single game, Going into week two, your priority number one should be making Emory more confident going into Alabama. You cannot go into Alabama not knowing who your QB one is, especially if that game is week three. You need to let Emory go out there against US, even if we want to see Anthony more, even if the fans want to see Anthony the entire game. You have to let Emory throw against USF until he thinks he can fire a ball into any single window. Because if you go into USF and Emory stinks again, and then you're like, well, now we really don't. And if you like, if you play USF and Emory has another like one touchdown, two interception game with like five yards at attempt, and Anthony comes in and has like 30, puts up 30 points in the second half, then you really don't know who you're going to start going into Alabama. You might as well forfeit. Well, yeah, no. It, and if that, if those stat lines happen, like you're saying, I'm sorry, Anthony Richardson's your quarterback, period. You might. I don't, I don't really think that's the way USF's going to go. I think that, um, I think Emory's going to play really well against USF, not even necessarily. I, I know I'm kind of an Emory apologist and I have been historically in this podcast, but like even less necessarily like less because of Emory's talent and more so because USF's just bad. Right. But um, I think against a team like that, that had a game like USF did week one, losing 45 to zero against NC state, you got to let Emory go out there and you got to let him throw until he feels good. I don't care if you make, and I don't care if you make USF throw up a white flag at halftime. If you, it, I don't care if you make the score like 85 to zero, just go out there and make Emery throw until he feels like he can never miss a pass again. That's, well, that's exactly right. Dan, Dan has already proven that they can run the football this year. They're mm-hmm. going to be able to run. Now prove that you can pass the ball, make Alabama fear that or have to game plan yeah. around that a little bit. It's, um, I would, I would just, I would say like my, uh, like my approach going to the USF before was like hide the passing game and kind of unveil it when you go against Nick Saban. You got to, you got to let it go. You got to prove, got to let Emory prove to himself that he can do that because a lot of what it was just kind of looked like nerves to me. Um, and which makes total sense as a guy who waited three years for a moment and then just had it. Uh, that can easily get to someone's head. I just think that if you're going to play, like, in my opinion, and I think this is the wrong thing to do, but in my opinion, if I'm Dan Mullen, if you are going into week two and you see a game the way that if you if you sit Emory for three years, let him play for one game and he plays poorly and then start working Anthony Richardson into the offense, you might as well bench him because Emory's going to think that every interception, every incompletion, every sack is going to be a benching and he's going to start getting into his head and he's never going to be able to like pl- like play on like kind of unencumbered football 
So like you, you kind of have to even like, and maybe Emery responds better to adversity than I'm giving him credit for, but you kind of got to scale back and show Emery that you like, you got to like for at least this week against USF. And it's easy to do this in a game like USF, you got to scale back and let Emery, like let Emery know for sure that he's the guy because you, and if you give him that one more chance against a team like USF and he plays bad against a team like USF, I'm willing to completely switch course. But right now, I think that the, the main priority and the main prerogative should be, I, I just kind of feel bad. And this is an entirely separate point. My main concern is like, say Emery goes out and plays like fantastic against USF, like just in that hypothetical world that we live in. I, I think that the fans have already grown so attached to Richardson that he's going to have to be perfect the rest of the season. Cause he, he could like, if you go against Alabama, he could be like winning that game and throw a pick in the third quarter and he get booed off the field because everyone just wants to see Richardson that badly. And I don't yeah. want that for Emory. I don't want the, I don't want the fans against him. Absolutely. And Jesse, I want to ask you this. What do you think of the way that Dan Mullen used his two quarterbacks in this case? So obviously we saw in the first half, Anthony Richardson comes in for a series. They make some progress. Uh, then they get a, like a third down and two, I believe it was. And Emery comes back in and they, they punt the ball right, uh, away. Um, what are, Do you have any concerns about the way that Dan Mullen uses Emery Jones and Anthony Richardson? Yeah. Um, so when I was watching, I was, I was just kind of find myself kind of confused on when Coach Mullen would make the switches at quarterback. Um, but I, I will say that, like, for the most part, like, both quarterbacks didn't really play too well. So, I mean, it's kind of hard to judge the two, two uh, quarterback system when they, when they both play kind of, kind of meh. Um, but I mean, I don't know. I, I, there, there was one moment in the game where uh, I, I thought it was going to be for sure. Another, another touchdown drive. Uh, Anthony Richardson uh, drove the Gator down the field. He, he had a pretty big explosive play. And then I believe he lost his helmet <clears throat> And then after that, Emory Jones had to come in and immediately throws the interception um, in the end zone. And I, I think that a lot of people are, are looking at that moment right there and are, are like, oh, but yeah, Andy Richardson should be the quarterback after that. Um, but back to your question, I, I, I kind of went off there. Um, I, I, I think Mullen will probably try to find a lot smoother way to implement a two quarterback system. If he does, I I, I kind of agree with Ryan here. I think you need to play Emory. You need to give him that chance. You need to give him that second opportunity to, to really prove himself versus a bad USF team. Um, and I, I don't know if he'll really, if, if, excuse me, I don't know if, if Mullen will really use a two quarterback system going into next Saturday. Uh, but I, I just think this past weekend, he was just trying to figure out what he had in store and maybe he wanted to see what both quarterbacks could do. And they obviously they, can both work their legs and their arms need a little bit more work. Yeah. I, I just think like for me, if, and I'm going off on the same point again, like if you have Emery, like kind of sit in the wings and wait and like do everything he did and have him say all the right things, do all the right things, wait his turn a little bit, come out and like have one bad start. And then you're just like, nah, we got to like multi quarterback this. I just don't know what we're doing in that. I don't know what we're doing in that case. Yeah, there's right. there's no point. Well, there's something wrong with the message to the recruits. If you're saying, hey, I'm going to get you to the NFL, you got to wait your turn. But then actually, we're going to give you that turn. I just I, I don't understand 
the Kyle Trask thing, I going back a couple of years now, I didn't understand the way that Dan Mullen would all of a sudden take Kyle out to put Emory in because the timing just didn't make sense. In this case, on third down and two, they bring Emory in. And like you mentioned, Emory throws an interception. What happened before that interception, Jesse? Do you remember what happened right before the interception? That was a play where I know what happened. Tell me, right? Or, 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 or was well, that the other third end? and two became third and seven because of a delay of game. That's something that cannot happen. If you cannot manage to switch these quarterbacks without a penalty, then you can't be doing it. I feel like if you want to do this two quarterback system, fine, do it, but give them a series, give them the entire series. It didn't make sense. The Florida was making incredible progress. You had a Demarcus Bowman 15 yard run. Anthony Richardson had a 20 yard gain, and then you gained eight yards uh, with Richardson. And yet, then you throw in Emory Jones, and it just made absolutely no sense to me. Also, on that first interception in the red zone, uh, Mullen talked about this later. I thought that on the field watching, I thought that Emory thought there was a flag because he threw that pick, and it was a really bad ball. Um, it was he either Very didn't bad ball. <laughs> he either didn't see that corner sitting there, or he thought, or as I learned later, he probably thought Kamori Gamble was running a different route. Because when Dan Mullen talked about it in his press conference afterwards, the reason why Emery kind of stood there for a second and looked at the sideline is because he got the wrong signal. And obviously Emery thought that it looked wrong, but he was getting a signal from the sideline. He was like, all right, I guess if this is what you guys want to do. And he did it. And Dan Mullen was like, in the future, I'd love for him to understand what's going on enough to call a timeout and look me in the eye and be like, are you sure? But like, he got a wrong signal. Right. Um, and so in that instance, it's like, Still a bad throw, still a pick, still deserved. But, like, that was another play where, like, it looked like there was something else happening on the field during that play, and there actually was. Right. But this seemed to be, I don't want to say a common occurrence, because it happened at least one other time, actually the very next drive, right, shortly before half, where Emory Jones goes for it on, on fourth down. Oh. And Ryan, go ahead and talk about that one a little bit. I don't I don't want to see another Emory Jones QB sneak from inside the five. It doesn't work. It's never worked. I've watched this team for like, I don't know, two years now, three years now, like like including, I guess, like this season. This is the third straight season. I've wa like watched every single game of this team intently. I have never seen an Emory Jones quarterback sneak from the five-yard line work. He doesn't, well, have, the know, right, we, he doesn't have the right body type for it. Right. The offensive line doesn't block correctly for it. Why are you doing it? It fails consistently. It's like I think every single failed fourth down I have seen in the Dan Mullen era on fourth and goal has been a quarterback sneak, and yeah. they never work. And I well, don't get it. It frustrates me. We, I mean, we talked earlier. Damian Pierce is your guy for that situation, right? That's exactly why you have him. Damian Pierce could have had a third touchdown, uh, but they took it away from him so that Emory could run for two yards and finish two yards short of the goal line. Um, I didn't understand that. I, honestly, from the four-yard line, I actually thought they should have just taken the points. Uh, but that was just my thought. Um, anyway, yeah. I thought there was a. It was several... it was fourteen zero in the first half. I get it. Yeah, why not seventeen <laughs> zero? Yeah, it's a game against Steph. I don't think he was really worried about those points mattering at the end of the day. It was just because I mean, like, so if you're, I guess, if you're like, like through a hypothetical, like if you're Dan Mullen, what happens if you actually have a fourth and four that you need to convert from the like from the four yard line later in the year and you've never run that play during a game? Hey, Ryan, well. I'm, I'm going to make this real simple for you. 38 to 14 covers the spread. <laughs> uh, okay. It mattered, man. <laughs> um, you, know what else any... you know what else would have covered the spread? 42 to 14. 
<laughs> it would have, but it didn't happen. Instead, no, didn't. the team did not cover the spread. They didn't look all ultra impressive. Um, anyway, so here, here, what I, I basically want to just end this by saying, uh, let's assume that Emory's going to have a good game against USF because um, I'm not 100 percent sure that we could put, we couldn't throw Jesse behind quarterback at, in at USF and, and win that ball game. So. <laughs> Hey, no, we're assume, <laughs> now I'm just saying if Emory does not have a good game, you guys be ready on Monday. Okay. <laughs> um, but let's assume I, that he's going to have a good game. Is he your QB one and going into Alabama? If we see the exact same kind of yes. numbers from both quarterbacks. Oh, um, the exact, I think you said he had a good game against USF. He has the exact same numbers. Let's, let's go ahead and just say mm. if they have the exact same, obviously if he has a good game, you're going with him as your QB one, but mm. But if both quarterbacks have the exact same type of game and you see it instead of 35-14, let's say it's 38 to 3 because South Florida's worse. <laughs> if if both if both quarterbacks have the exact same stat line, I don't think I'd throw a pass if I'm Dan Mullen. <laughs> yeah, I just they're gonna become Navy in about in, a, in about Yeah, one. they're just run the triple option, have both of them in the backfield on every play. It might work. <laughs> no, just like have honestly, like have two centers and an extra blocker, and don't reveal which center. Like don't like have them like switch off who's standing behind the center. And just have Nick Saban try and guess. Like do whatever stupid crap you have to do. But yeah, yeah. if they both if they both have the exact same stat line, uh, I would. I don't know if I'd feel comfortable with any of them. Either of them is my QB one going into Bama. But I I have a hard time believing that Emory's going to struggle like that again against USF. So, but we all agree that Emory should get bulk playing time in this next game, that, that yes. there shouldn't be a significant package for Anthony mm-hmm. Richardson right now. No, right. not yet. Yeah. Good. Good. I'd say, I, I mean, that's the biggest takeaway I think you can get from this is that all of us agree that this has to be his game. And if it's 49 to nothing, I think he still needs to be out there. I do wonder there was, I wonder if there's any salience to this. I saw it after the game, like someone on Twitter was like, I wonder if like the, like the, start of Emory playing like crap coincides with when Richardson first got put in in the second quarter. Like, I wonder if it just kind of threw him for a loop that Mullen went to 15 that early. Cause like he, I know he said that he was going to play both of them. And obviously I think it was more nerves than anything else. I think it was more like the pl- first two drives being scripted and then kind of going off script. But like Mullen put Anthony in earlier than I, I, I knew Richardson was going to get playing time. I thought it would be in like garbage time, third, fourth quarter, maybe like a few like passes here and there. Anthony got a drive in like the early second quarter. And I, I like, if I'm Emory Jones, like I know that that was probably planned, but I'm still probably like, wow, really? Like it's 14 zero. And like my first start. Okay. Yeah. Richardson actually came out for the very last play of the first quarter and then open the second quarter mm-hmm. um, I, don't think, but, I don't think they got a playoff before the first quarter ended but i, I got says demarcus bowman ran for a yard no okay he didn't he I, didn't I, he didn't do anything then but yeah espn has been wrong before <laughs> uh but no guys yeah i i think we uh accomplished a lot we talked a lot here we talked a little bit of volleyball got a bit of soccer in there soccer pulled off their first win uh see Woo-hoo. if they can replicate that success moving forward and uh, obviously we're talking football because this is still the University of Florida and football is the uh, moneymaker, I guess. And as as with anything else, you always shake your moneymaker, right, Ryan? Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's my go-to motto, as anyone who knows me knows. So anyway, thank you guys. Thank you guys for joining us for another episode of the Gator Slant. We will see you guys next week, same time, same place. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Peace out.